Well, thank you so much. That was great, great music, great worship. You sing really well. I'm listening to you out here. You really sound well. You must have gotten a lot of strength over the Thanksgiving holidays. Looking out here, I think you did. Do you ever forget your keys? Have you ever lost your keys? You don't know where you put them. Did that ever happen to you? Um, do you ever walk into a room and say, hmm, now what would I come in here for, okay? If you haven't, you will, okay? All right? In first service today, I was discombobulated as I was preaching. I said something in the sermon thinking that I was here in the second service, and so uh, probably Craig and Michael give me a hard time about it. But um, anyway, I'll try not to do that today because I had specific things I want to say to you a little bit different than first service. I'm James White, by the way, and uh, you don't usually see me because I'm in first service and I'm in Sunday school during second hour and I work with um, primarily our older folks in the church right now, And um, but I've been around here close to 40 years and before that, I was a youth pastor here for 20 years, so I've worked with all ages, and it's a privilege to be able to speak to you today. A lot of times uh, on this particular Sunday of the year, it falls to me to have the opportunity to preach to you and, and do more like a lesson and sermon about Advent, an introduction to Advent. So I want to talk to you about that today. We won't have a traditional sermon, kind of a lesson with some uh, um, message part to it, but I want to remind you that going into December, December is one of the most important months in the year in the life of the church. Now listen to that. One of the most important months in, in the life of the church year uh, for a couple of reasons. One is for all the wonderful programs that go on. Do I see some sign out there about a gingerbread bash or whatever? Boy, that sounds great. And, uh, you know, things like that during the holiday season at church that bring us together to see the joy of children and, and participating and helping them experience the season. But we also have wonderful things that we think about, like the wonderful Christmas Eve candlelight service, candlelight communion, which has been a tradition at Southwest for, for so long. A lot, lot of things that are coming up. Um, special events like... On December 18th of this, this, this year, we're going to do a special thing here. And then it is on that day, we're going to have a musical program that uh, we're going to combine together. And we're going to fill up this room. We can set up a lot more chairs in here. Believe it or not, we can. And uh, just get everybody together at 11 o'clock that day. And uh, our choir has been working on uh, a musical. I've got about 40 folks that have been working on it. But I need some more, and I'm looking at them today, okay? Uh, and we've got a musical that's going to involve a lot of different familiar Christmas carols that you know and that you'll be able to pick right up. So I want to encourage you. Uh, I know I have some, some uh, uh, high school chorale folks out there. I know I, I have church choir folks out there, and I, I, one of the things that I do is lead the choir, and I want to invite you on that day to sing with us. If you've sung in a choir and missed that and would love to do that that day, I'd love for you to. And the way you can do it is just come to two rehearsals. Come to two rehearsals in December on Sunday night, uh, the 5th and the 11th at 5 o'clock. 
and uh, we'll get you up to speed really quickly on it, and you'll be able to read that and sing that really easily. So I want to encourage you and invite you, if you're a singer, to come and sing with us on that day. It's going to be a great, great, great time of worship, and we're going to have a stage full of folks singing. And again, there are going to be songs that you'll be singing along with because it's all the carols of the season and uh, you'll be inspired by it with also some praise songs that you're singing in here that you'll also be familiar with and inspired to sing. So the invitation for that. But the, the, another reason December is so important is because December is the time of the year when people have researched this and come up with that it is the time of year when people are most receptive to being invited to church. Most receptive. So if you've got that family member, co-worker, friend who you've been wanting to invite to church and, and they're a little reticent about it, December is a time when they're going to be more likely to say yes. And so it's also a time when folks who are our church members who perhaps have gotten out of the habit of coming, most receptive to coming back. So I want us to be mission-minded during December and think about folks that we can invite to church because the odds of you being successful in December with that invitation are much, much higher. So let's really uh, encourage each other to think out of the box and people that we can invite to be with us. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about Advent, uh, a little bit different today. Advent is a time of year that we have observed at Southwest for many, many decades, probably back into the 1980s is when we started it. Our associate minister at the time, Tom Miller, introduced us to that. And we began to observe Advent, the season of Advent. And, and this is something that uh, perhaps you're familiar with from your church tradition that you grew up in. Maybe it's something that you're very familiar with and that you did. Or maybe, like me, you didn't grow up in that tradition. And so it was kind of new to me when it came along as we think about Advent, and, and we, we thank Gavin and Erica for reading for us today, Advent has the idea in it of uh, the, the coming of Christ, of, of anticipation of his coming. And today, as we think about Christ and the anticipation of his coming, the arrival of his coming, uh, this is something that's a tradition of the church. It's not something that's a command in the Bible, but a tradition of the church that's been going on for many, many, many hundreds of years. It's something that helps us. It helps us. It's history we can trace all the way back to the 3rd or 4th century A.D., uh, first associated with what's called the Day of Epiphany, which was a day of repentance and reflection. But then later on, as the Roman church came into being, around 600 A.D., the identity of Advent took more on the idea of a preparation for the Lord's coming, a preparation, getting ready for Christmas. It, it involves symbols, symbols, as you see before you today. Symbols are important. On the back wall behind me, we have the symbol of a cross. Out in the foyer, in the historical section of our church, we have a round marble table that for decades was in our East Point location as a communion table in the center of the church. You probably grew up or have attended churches that have beautiful stained glass. 
or, 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 or certain tapestry or banners that are hung at certain times of the year. These are symbols that help us, help remind us of truths that we should remember at this time of year. Symbols are helps. We don't worship symbols, but symbols help us remember significant truths of the season. Today we have before us the symbol of the Advent wreath, the Advent wreath. We can thank our brothers and sisters in the Lutheran Church for first introducing this hundreds of years ago, reminding us of a wreath full of greenery that reminds us of the life that's around us, the God-given life, the greenery that's there. We have candles before us today, four candles, five with the one in the center. Three of them are purple, one of them is pink. The purple originally had the idea of humility, but then it became, became an idea of also of royalty and praise, and certainly we praise the Lord for his kingship and his lordship, uh, that he's worthy of praise. And, 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 and the candles, other purple candles, are, are going to be lit on the days we talk about love and peace. The pink candle's a little bit different. The pink candle has the idea of joy. Rejoice for all that has happened. And then in the middle, we have a white candle, which is called the Christ candle. And that is traditionally lit on Christmas Eve, at the Christmas Eve service. And as we go through this month, every Sunday, we'll light one of the candles. We'll have a different theme each week, and we'll write, light uh, two candles next week. But Advent has this idea of coming. It has this idea of arriving. It has this idea of expectation, but it also has a double meaning. It's not only us remembering back during the time when the Jews longed for the coming of the Messiah and the prophets that prophesied Jesus' birth. It's not only that that we remember. We look back and remember that, but also the double meaning of arrival with Advent is that we look forward to the second arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward to that with expectation, with expectation and with hope. Hope, love, joy, peace are the themes that we'll look at over the next four Sundays. And today we focus on hope, hope. Looking for the Lord as they expect, expected the Messiah and longed for him and looked for the, the prophets as we look back into the prophecies from Isaiah and others, the coming Messiah. But also we look forward to the coming Lord, his return again. And Advent is all about those things. Symbols help us. Well, there are other helps that we're going to use during the month of December. In my pocket, I have an Advent devotional, an Advent devotional. We do this every year, and it's very, very meaningful to us and helps us as we go through this month to really appreciate the full significance of what the Lord has done in his incarnation and coming to us. And this devotional will be available to you as you exit the worship center today. Our greeters will hand those out to you. Grab one when you go out. And it starts on December the 1st, and it's a by calendar day, so you can keep up with what day you're supposed to be on, but it'll just take you a few minutes each day. But a devotional thought 
a devotional word to focus on, a scripture and prayer to focus on. I encourage you to get one of these and to join with us corporately as a congregation as we together walk through this Advent season. So once again, today we come because there is hope. There is hope, and that's what we want to focus on today. There are two scriptures I'd like for us to look at today. One is from Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and then the other is going to be from 1 Peter. Um, listen as I read these words to you today from the Apostle Paul. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then words from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So when you think about Paul and Peter, if I were to ask you today, can you name me two of the apostles or leaders of the church? You probably would say Paul and Peter or Peter and Paul. If you were not involved in the church, if you were outside the church and not, not a, a, a schooled in the history of the church, you probably still, in secular society, people know about Peter and Paul. And when we think about Peter and Paul, we think about these guys and they're writing us these words about hope. What do we know about them? Well, we know that Paul was Saul of Tarsus before he was Paul the Apostle, and we know that he was a great, great uh, uh, rising star in the world of Judaism and Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He was, he was trying to live perfectly under the law. Um, he, he, was, he was someone who was a zealous opponent of the church, imprisoning Christians. And yet we find a change in his life, a change in his life to where it goes from being Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. And as he's converted to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we now see not only not an opponent of the church, but the greatest proponent of the church, one of the greatest that we've ever known, a great champion of the church, preaching the gospel all over the place. We know that about Paul, Paul who did that and who writes words to us about hope today. Peter, what do we know about Peter? This rough fisherman impetuous, uh, the guy who would jump out and chop off the soldier's ear with his sword, the, the guy who would say, I'm going to follow you to your death, Lord, but yet he was full of inconsistencies like we are, just like we are. Yet in the face of persecution later on, we would find this fellow Peter who had failed the Lord. We remember his denial of the Lord and how that has had to make him feel. But we see him later as someone who is preaching the gospel, who is saying to them and to us that we follow a God of hope and that we have a life of hope because of Jesus Christ. Both Peter and Paul encourage their readers to look forward to a heavenly hope, but also to experience the life-changing hope that's in Christ here and now. They know, they knew that God could change people because God changed them.
Peter and Paul, unlikely people to be changed, and yet God changed them. And so they began to be advocates and a mouthpiece for hope, reminded people there is hope. Well, in the face of this good news, which is the gospel, good news, isn't it interesting that throughout history, the one who offers such hope has been dramatically and consistently opposed. The name of Jesus. A lot of people don't even want to associate it with Christmas anymore. Many throughout the ages have tried to erase Jesus, the advent of our Lord from history and our minds. Think about it. What if their efforts had been successful? What if they had been successful in erasing this shepherd from history from all the records that we know of. Imagine what the world would look like if God's own son had not been born in Bethlehem to conquer sin, to conquer the grave, to bring about justice. We're not talking about obvious, obvious differences in our life, but just think about it. There, there would be a different calendar for one, wouldn't they? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about things where we wouldn't see churches like this. We wouldn't see steeples. We wouldn't see institutions, universities, hospitals, charitable institutions that never would have been founded because they were founded in the name and by the inspiration of the Lord Jesus and Christian people. We're not even talking about Christmas cards that would never be published and never be sent. We're not talking about Christmas presents that would never be purchased. No, the world would be changed. Yes, in those ways, but in some more significant ways. Because if Jesus, if Jesus hadn't come, if there was no Advent, we would be left with earthly fear and a lack of hope. If Jesus hadn't been born, the world would know about law and wrongdoing, but the world wouldn't know about grace. If Jesus hadn't come, we wouldn't hear the words of Scripture that say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And words like, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. The world would be different if Jesus had not been born. We think about that. We think about Jesus giving us that example of selflessness. What does he say? To be my disciple, the first thing any man or woman needs to do is deny self. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Deny yourself right out of the gate. Well, think about a world where self-denial was not an operative thing, not a popular thing at all. Think about that kind of world that Jesus inspired, a, a, a world of selflessness and helping others and putting others before themselves. If Jesus hadn't been born, why wouldn't parents feel free to abandon their children who were an inconvenience? Why wouldn't society put down and ignore the elderly, the infirm, the physically and mentally challenged who no longer are able to contribute to society and to culture. 
Why wouldn't, if Jesus hadn't been born, why wouldn't the dictator, the evil rulers of the world, why wouldn't it be okay for them just to continue to murder, to terrorize people, to cause heartache and pain just for their gain? If Jesus hadn't been born in Bethlehem, where would be the hope for the blind to ever see again? Where would be the hope for the person who's deaf to hear the beautiful music from a heavenly chorus? Where would be the hope for those who suffer with, that are crippled and bound by braces and bound by wheelchairs? And, and where would be the hope for them to walk and run if Jesus had never been born and lived and conquered death and came forward from the grave and ascended to heaven? Where would be the hope? If Jesus had not been born, where would be the hope for the person who stood by the grave weeping as their loved one was put in the ground? That widow, a widower, the hope of ever being reunited with that loved one again if Jesus hadn't been born. See, if Jesus hadn't been born, the hope that we enjoy right now, the hope that we, we take for granted wouldn't be possible. But the good news is this, Jesus was born. Jesus was born. And with the coming of Christ, God's grace arrived in a way that we could experience with the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Lord certainly in Old Testament times showed his mercy and grace and his character of mercy and grace. But as Jesus came and the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives within us, we can experience that on an individual level. With the coming of Christ, the angels could announce great glad tidings, good news that will bring great joy to the people. With the coming of Christ, Paul can say, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, when we think about old Paul and Peter, they were just like us, people just like us. Did they have some hopeless times in their life? I bet you they did. After they became Christians? Yes, after they became Christians and knew the Lord. You don't think Paul had times of hopelessness, hopelessness when he was marooned, shipwrecked? when he was in jail, when he was cold and hungry, when he was persecuted, fearing for his life, you don't think he had times of hopelessness? Sure he did, just like we would. You don't think Peter had times of hopelessness when he heard that third, when he heard that, 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 that rooster crow on that third denial, how hopeless he felt that night after that denial? His Lord, he had denied. The, 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 imagine the hopelessness he went through. And yet, these two guys, <laughs> these two guys who are just like us, can write these words to us today about a living hope. And why is that? It's because they saw Jesus. They walked with Jesus. He appeared to them. They saw the resurrected Lord. The gospel is true. The gospel is true. And we're now at a time and season of the, uh, in, in the calendar of the church where we talk about the gospel and its advent, advent into the world in this time as we remember the Lord's birth. Paul and Peter talk about a hope 
which believes that Christ lives in us now and that Christ is coming again. It believes that he has done what he said he has done and he, did, and he will do what he says he will do. Hope, hope, hope is what the gospel brings to us in a world that is so devoid of it, so gloomy, so despondent about the future. We as Christian people can bring the word of hope. Hope makes a difference. There's a story told, an old story told, about a school system in a large city that had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork while they were during in while they were in the hospital for long stays in the hospital. One day, a teacher who was assigned to the program uh, received a routine call asking her to visit a particular child. She wasn't normally in the regular rotation, but she was called in to assign to take someone's place. She took the child's name and room number and talked briefly with the child's regular teacher, regular class teacher. And the teacher says, okay, so that child who's not in school, uh, we're, we're working on right now nouns and adverbs in the class, and so will you work on that with that child in the hospital? I'd be grateful if you could help him understand so he doesn't fall so far behind while he's in the hospital. So the, the, the teacher went. She went to see this boy in the hospital that afternoon. No one had mentioned to her that the boy had been badly burned and it was, was in great, great pain. She was upset at the sight of the boy. She stammered as she told him, I've been sent to your school to help you with your nouns and adverbs. But when she left the room, she didn't feel like she'd accomplished very much. But the next day, a nurse asked her, what in the world did you say to that boy in that room? This teacher felt she must have done something wrong. And she began to apologize for having done that. And the nurse said, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't know what I mean. We've been worried about that little boy, discouraged about his progress, discouraged about his, his psyche, what's going on up here. But ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's trying. He's fighting back. He's responded to treatment. It's as though he's made a decision to live. Well, a couple of weeks later, as the teacher went back to see him, and in the nurse's presence, as the little boy was asked about this change in his life, he explained that, yes, he had completely given up hope before that teacher arrived to visit him. But everything changed when he came to a simple realization. He expressed it this way. He says, well, I figured they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, now would they? Hope makes a difference. Hope changes things. The hope of the gospel can change the world. As the band begins to come now, as we prepare to sing a song, I want to remind you today that hope is essential to life, to a life that is real, to a life that is fulfilling, 
to a life that is more than just existing. Hope is essential to that. Hope fuels extraordinary effort towards a goal in the face of daunting odds. Hope fuels that. Hope produces perseverance over the long haul, even when it's not easy. Hope gives the sometimes uh, monotony of life meaning because we see that we're part of something that's bigger than us. Without hope, we may fall into cynicism and despair, but with hope, we look forward to each day with anticipation as to how the Lord may use us today for the good of his kingdom. And today, I want to remind you to join with me during this season of Advent in remembering that Christ came to give us hope, to give us hope. Today, if you're sitting here in this audience and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the good news is the same Lord that loved Paul and Peter loves you just the same. Just the same. The same Lord that looked at Paul's perhaps arrogance and Peter's inconsistencies looks at me today and looks at you today and sees ours and he loves us just the same. And he wants to save us just the same and give us hope just the same. And so today, as we sing a song, we're going to invite you to come down front. Craig will be down here waiting for you. We'd love for you to come and unite in the body of Christ and know him as your Savior. If you're not a member of a, a church and you'd love to join our church, we'd love to have you join with us in our work here to be part of the Lord's kingdom work. And we invite you to do that as we come. And then after... After that, we're going to transition into a time of, of communion and the Lord's Supper. But just now, will you stand and will you sing as we come?